Welcome to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, where our goal is to connect listeners to the great outdoors with hosts Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. I'm host Ben Brandell, owner of Meant to Be Outdoors, instructor of outdoor skills, and passionate about personal growth. I'm host Brian Hoffmeyer, wildlife biologist and avid outdoorsman. Welcome back to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. I'm your host, Brian, with my co-host, Ben. And in today's episode, we're going to have a little fun. This is a different episode than we have ever done in the previous 120-something episodes. Today is actually a Q&A episode. Woo. Ben, you and I have been sent a list of questions from a listener. 26 questions, I believe. Yeah. Some of them are just for you. Some are just for me. Some of us are for both to answer. Mm-hmm. And we're going to tackle all those questions in this episode today. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a little different. But before we do, we need to give thanks. Yep. I want to give thanks to God that he has not given us all the information about everything from the beginning to the end, to after, to infinity and beyond. Because I'm just truly realizing the more that we dig into life and trying to understand everything, it's like the less we truly understand. And I believe the reason for that is is so that we truly lean into our Creator. Uh, if I had all the answers, why would I need to, to turn to Him for them? And so, um, I just thank God for for that. I, I thank you for His relationship. Yeah, and what I'm thankful for today is something that I believe God gives us to kind of help go through what you're talking about about not having all the answers, and that is community, other people, other people following Christ. You know, my church has grown a lot very quickly. And we have these groups called life groups. They're smaller groups of people within the church that meet. But we I've recently been a part of a new one that just started. And getting to know all of these families and people and learning about everybody's hurt. And at, we all have the same questions about God, but we're all coming together to learn him, learn more about him and to know him better and just to really get to know his character, but support each other in that. I'm just so thankful that God calls us to community and that he has given us other people and we're all really not different. We're all the same. We're all going through very similar things, um, different stages of life, but we all get to do it together and support each other. And I'm just so thankful for that. I'm thankful for my life group. That's awesome. It is awesome to have people in your life. For mm-hmm. sure. It That's really good. is. Mm-hmm. And speaking of people, thankful so much for the listener that sent these questions in Uh a very vast array of topics within yeah. this. Yeah, kind of he, caught us off guard, like yeah. sending questions, and I'm like, what are they going to be about? And I was excited, and it looks like the majority of them are outdoor questions, for sure. Well, so, that's good, since we are the Meant to Be Outdoor podcast. Yep. And well, this could take us a little while, so maybe we should get started. Let's go. All right, question number one. This is for both of us. Ben, you go first. What is your dream hunting trip i want to hunt for moose in alaska moose with my recurve bow <laughs> have you seen some of the videos of moose charging people i absolutely have uh, <laughs> i've also seen them take you know uh, canoe paddles uh you can also buy other decoys to stand behind but um i've also seen uh, my uncles have actually went and done this and some of their video and photos that they brought back are like they have blueberries like everywhere you can just turn and eat blueberries I don't know. I love Alaska. I've never been. Love to go. And to be able to hunt something that could possibly have antlers as wide as six feet, like, yeah. how incredible. I, I'd love to do so that. So do you want to go because you love blueberries or because you want to kill a moose? I love wild edibles, and I love <laughs> backpacking, and I love hunting, and I'd love to to harvest a creature that 
is deadly. Like, mm-hmm. and and even being in the Yukon area, like being up in that area, like not only do you have to worry about moose, but grizzly bear as well. Yeah. And I think just just on high just alert. that high adventure thrill, high alert risk. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I want to go do that. I want to. I want to do that. It's, How about yours, though? That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Mine is also in the archery realm. I, I, I definitely want to do this with my bow, but I'm not going to take my recurve. I'm going to take my compound bow. I want to go to New Zealand, mm. and I want to target a red stag. Okay. It is. They yeah. are just an absolutely incredible, beautiful animal. What I have seen from pictures and video of New Zealand is is like, it, it like it's not even in this world. It just looks so beautiful, and, and it's mountainous, and you have these giant views that you can just see for miles and miles and miles. And I think it would be such a unique trip to go there and say that right. that I have I have done this. I have harvested a red, red tag, you red stag yes. using archery equipment in New Zealand, just to have people look at you like. Wow. Yes. You know, I'm I'm also then gonna question like how are you gonna get that meat back over here? Like that's a hard one to do when you're maybe out I'll of the stay long enough I can eat it you all on there. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. They're all big right. animals, that would take a while. That's awesome. Let's move on to the next. The next question was dream fishing trip. Mm-hmm. Brian, go first. What would be your absolute favorite fishing trip? My favorite fish to catch is a smallmouth bass. Okay. And I hope we're not exactly the same here. Watching some of the recent professional tournaments on the St. Lawrence River, mm. these guys are catching like 30-pound bags. I mean, giant five- and six-pound smallmouth by the plenty. Right. I need to go experience that. I'm with you. Like, that. that is a dream. I think there's – you're talking about being in the boat with all the all the gear and everything. Mine is very similar, but I would really, really, really love to go to Black River which is two hours east of Phoenix, and it's within the White Mountains. And basically, where you're at there, you have to hike in. And so I love wading creeks. I love wading streams. Everything's got to have a hiker or a backpack with you. Well, and in this area, (laughs) you're really not supposed to stay in the hotels. It's not advised. It's day trips are best. um, uh, And then if you're going to stay overnight, is to camp. Um, But the walleye, or excuse me, I said walleye, the smallmouth there, they're, they're just, they talk about how incredible it is. And to be able to go into a remote area like this, it's not seen a lot of people. Like, our local areas are so overfished. You know what I mean? Yeah. So being in the area and then being able to wade and fish all day and then to cook and eat, like, I, I, that's my dream, man. I'm leaving it at that. That's my dream. Good. Good. Yep. That sounds, but smallmouth on both of them. Yes. On both of them. Well, nice. they, they fight so hard. Like, right, you can't only beat it. Yeah. You can't only beat it. They do. All right, Ben. This next one is just for you. I get excluded on this one. Your dream backpacking trip? Well, I, I'm I'm gonna say that's I'm gonna use that as my backpack. Yeah, because okay. you do have to backpack in, and you'd be camping there. I'd love to do like a two day, um, uh, yeah, one night. Well, maybe three day, two night out there, and and depending on how far I could hike up that stream, because um, I like to work my way. I like to fish up river. Um, it seems to, to push the fish up and I can catch them better. If I'm pushing them down, it seems like I don't catch them as well in, um, experiences past, but I would love to work every nook and cranny of that stream, that river. Um, so I would, that'd be my dream backpacking trip, or I would say the dream backpacking trip, cause you do have to usually backpack in, um, to hunt these moose. So if I could somehow combine 
smallmouth bass fishing and moose hunting and backpacking in to do all that, that would be the mighty dream for backpacking mm-hmm. dude. So I don't know if I, I don't know. Maybe that's out there and I just don't know <laughs> it. That would be so awesome. Maybe that's one you need to create. You need to build that trip. <laughs> yeah. So this next question um, is for me. And it it's kind of jumping into that hunting and deer world, which if, if this is your first time listening to the show, white-tailed deer is my favorite animal. Um, I absolutely right. love deer. I've worked with them for years and years, both captive and non-captive herds. Um, so this next question, I, I'm going to kind of have to address both of those issues. And the question is, are large ranches that raise deer helping or hurting the hunting community? Now, there's a lot of controversy around this, especially with chronic wasting disease. Raising deer, when I, when I, when I see the word raising, in my mind, I'm thinking like pen deer. Right. Like they, they are being raised in a pen and that. There are people that, that they do that for a living. They're literally farming deer. They're absolutely massive. Um, you talk about going hunting, you know, harvesting something 150-inch antlers all the way up to 200 would be, and everywhere in between there would be considered a large white-tailed deer. But the world record in a pen is like over 600 inches. I mean, they can't, they can't raise their head up off the ground. Mm. So because you're taking out all these natural variables, you can do that. But those deer are being raised just for breeding purposes. Right. So that ranches that have high fences, meaning eight foot and taller fences that deer cannot get out, they will buy the semen and breed large bucks so that people can pay and come hunt them. There's where your real, real controversy comes in. Is it okay? Is it ethical hunting to hunt inside a high fence? You know, I I, uh, addressed this on social media before, (laughs) and you can see real quick in the comments the the passion for controversy that that comes in on this. I'm going to lean on the side of if the property is large enough, several hundred acres up to thousands of acres. A lot of these high fences, some in Texas are like 30,000 acres, square mile after square mile after square mile of acreage. These deer will live their entire life and never see a fence. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What I believe hurts the hunting community the most is hunter on hunter. I'm going to call it hunter on hunter crime. Everyone thinks that the way that they hunt is the only right way to hunt. I shouldn't say everyone. So many people attack other people for saying, well, the way you hunt isn't actually hunting. It, even we've already mentioned compound and recurve bows in this. There are people that say compound's the only way to go. You have traditional. Trad. 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 That say compounds cheating. It shouldn't even be allowed. And what I want to say is hunting is so important to our country economically. Hunting is so important to our country from a conservation perspective. Even historically, we should all come together and say that if we are following the rules and regulations that are put in place by our government, go out and hunt. Be outdoors. Mm Mm-hmm. One of the one of the arguments today is that uh, a lot of states are allowing crossbows during archery season. Well, that's not archery hunting. You're not you are not a dang hunter if you use a crossbow. Pipe down. <laughs> Somebody's out there hunting, yep. enjoying creation, bringing home a clean harvest to their family. We should be supporting each other, and I think that's where the real damage comes in. If people are raising deer on farms. If they don't have high fences and they have properties that are managing habitat and raising their well, they are doing great things for all wildlife. Right, right. So I, I, I don't think if people are following 
laws and rules while they're raising deer on their ranches, I think they are great for the hunting community. I think more the words and the way people are treating people does more damage than than anybody that uh, is using a different farming tactic. Gotcha. Well, the next question is for you, and it, it is similar to this last question, um, but I think you can answer it yeah. maybe, maybe more quickly, right? Mm-hmm. So would you prefer to bag a monster deer on a stocked ranch? So is that... Would you would you say a stocked ranch is maybe something like you were just talking about? Maybe. So there are there are ranches that are large, tens of thousands of acres with high fences where the deer they really can't get out. They're on this ranch, but like I said, they're so large that these deer won't even see a fence their whole life. Right. Okay. Based on a deer's home range, but right. you may pay thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars to go kill a two hundred and fifty inch deer. Right. And these are stocked. These deer are, are raised on this ranch. Right. So yes. would you then, Brian, would you prefer to bag a monster deer on a stocked ranch or a fairly decent deer not on a stocked ranch? Yeah. It, super easy for me to answer that. Don't even have to think about it. I would much rather kill a decent deer on a non-stocked ranch. Just because it's – maybe it's like me. Like I have a hard time trout fishing. Uh, in a lot of these areas, because they usually have fresh stocked trout, and they're really easy to catch. And yeah. to me, it's it seems to be easier. However, you still have challenges. You're right. not catching so, all of them. But some of these stocked ranches, these deer, they don't fully act like wild deer. They okay. they're not they're not as wild. They're not as difficult. It is more of a challenge to go kill a decent deer on a. Tra- a, uh, a non-stocked farm, ranch, non-managed even, if you want to say that, than it is to go to one of these stocked ranches. So it, it, it's easy for me, but I'm also going to tell you I do not believe it is wrong in any way. If you have $30,000 and you want to go kill a 250-inch deer on a stocked ranch, I don't believe it's wrong. Okay. I, I mean, we have the dominion over the animals. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. All right, next question here comes up, and it says... Dream boat setup. Yeah, they want brand, <laughs> accessories, equipment. It's a fun one to dream about. Oh man. Well, you and I have been <laughs> you and I have been talking about this one a lot. Of course it's a bass boat for us. It is a bass boat. You know, we just looked at it uh, uh three or four days ago, or maybe it's been longer, but we've been looking at them quite a bit. Yeah. I'm gonna go with the new icon. What about you? Is that is that what you're Yeah, the the new icon. They just came out this year. Um we f- saw the first ones locally here just a few days ago. You and I were driving by, and we saw one out. We stopped. Yeah, we did. <laughs> we got out of the truck. Had we parked to see the truck. this with my own eyes. Yeah, and uh, a lot of allure around this. You know, one of the most successful bass fishermen in the world right now. Probably he is ranked number one in the world, uh, Jacob Wheeler. He came together actually with a yacht company to design this bass boat. Now, this bass boat is more expensive than any other bass boat on the market. Yeah, I mean, the right one- now online... Right now, let's just say it's a 21-footer, okay? 21-foot, it's actually 21-foot, 10 inches, to be honest with you. Holds 50 gallons of fuel, 35-gallon live well capacity, which is monster. A 9.8-length rod box. That, like, makes me, like, anyway, they only want only $106-ish thousand dollars. Right. The one you and I stopped and looked at the other day was $102,000 as it set. Now, it had no trolling motor. Correct. No electronics. No hot foot. No hot foot. No <laughs> power was, poles. It was stripped. It had 
Yeah. Do you know if it was the LX21? Was it a 21-footer? It was a 21-footer, yes. Okay, so that, yeah, and I think that, that's the same one as what I was. But ordering it online, you're going to be able to definitely customize. I mean, there, this thing is customizable yeah, from so C-Color down. I think this down. question is if we sat down today, pulled up our online order, and built it, what would, what would we do? I mean, I'm adding everything. Yeah. I'm, I'm making sure I have either talent or power poles. I guess you and I would have to decide if, if money wasn't an issue then, if we're just going and getting whatever we want. I don't know which I would prefer. Power poles is the one that I believe I would probably go with, but whatever anchor system I can get, I'm, I'm going. Then when I get into the front, though, this is where I get giddy. Like, I'm going to have I'm gonna have Ford Imaging, and I'm going to go with Garmin. Yeah, but I'm going to have three 12-inch graphs up front. Why not four? I, well, I want three. Okay, tell me why three. Well, four, you're getting ridiculous on space. No, the fourth one should be used then for as you stand on top of that in the springtime to sight fish because I've seen some of these professionals out doing it blows my mind because it's not illegal to stand on your electronics but it is illegal to go stand on your right. motor isn't that crazy yeah so they stand on top of these mounted screens crazy but, but why three what are you picking three for three I want one for my mapping yes I want one for my forward imaging yes and then I'm probably going to have my 2D on one I may split 2D and down scan on, on that third screen well, then if you had four, then you wouldn't need to split. You just I, I don't there. want that much. I mean, three, 12 inches, that's a lot of space. I, I don't the, want to give up the four front square foot. deck of this boat. It is huge. It is so big. Yeah. You're not even going to realize that there's four. Yeah. I still want to be able to flip and do that. I, I think three is all I need. Um, the trolling motor, I want to go with the top of the line trolling motor. I'm, <laughs> there's three really good trolling motors out there right, right now. That's hard to pick. Actually, four because Power Pulse came out with theirs now. Oh, they did. Yeah, but yeah. it's like wireless. I don't know if but I want wireless. I think though. I think for me, um, Minkota just came out with their upgraded Ultrax. I think that's the one I would go with. And it's I think it's around thirty five. That's between three and four thousand dollars just for the trolling motor. You've got all the graphs. I also want two graphs on the console, two 12 inch graphs on the console as well. Right. So you're looking right. at five graphs. Got to have the power poles. I'm gonna guess you're probably somewhere between 140 and 150 thousand dollars after you outfit this boat with all we're talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I'm also looking at trailer as well. What like, engine you going with? I, well, before engine, like I want, I want my truck wheels to match my trailer wheels. So like, you better buy a new truck then. I, I'm gonna get a new truck too. Okay, <laughs> he, they didn't ask about my dream truck, but we're just dream boat. I want it to all match. I want my colors to match the truck. I don't want wraps since I'm not having to worry about anything. I want it all the same color, but just clean motor. I don't know what these icons. I don't know what I need. To, we saw the one we looked at was 250. Right, but Mer really oh. definitely 250. But it, the question is, you going Mercury Pro XS? Are you going to go with the new Yamaha Show? A lot of people are going with the Suzuki now. I'll calling go, it I'll Marble go Marble. Mercury. I'm, I've always been Mercury. I've When I had Mercury's in the past, I was able to work on them personally. I just like that they, they made it to where it was manageable. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, the Mercury, you probably have to take it somewhere. But right. I'll go with Mercury. I, I like Mercury. You know, I like being different. Oh, boy. I want to go for the Suzuki. I don't even know if it's an option on the boat, but we're living in a dream world <laughs> okay, here. Okay. I want to put the Suzuki 250 on it. One, I just love the way it looks. They mm -hmm. have it's a it's all black, kind of a flat black, and then they have like black graphics, and somehow they made them still pop where you can see it. So you got black on black. Just looks mean, and I've heard that it is 
A lot of guys are going to it because it's very reliable. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard it was hard to get, but we're living in a dream world here. So I'm going 21 foot icon, fully decked out with the 250 Suzuki. Probably going to cost me 150 grand. All right, I'm going to be quick on this one because when you say dream boat, though, there's two that pop into my mind. And bass boat is a number one for the lake, but I have such a heart for the river. Like a dream boat. So growing up, I wanted my own jet boat so bad. I wanted two boats. I wanted a lake boat and a river boat. And so. I, it isn't even that expensive. I think you can get away like $20,000 in what I'm saying here, but I want a blazer boat. They call it the 1752. So it's 17 foot long and about 52 inches and wide. It's real wide. And it is a a big rectangle. yeah, 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 exactly. But I would like to have, I believe it was a Mercury. And I think, see, normally it's going to be a 60 40, but I want a little higher than that. And so I would love to have. The next step up, I believe it is 95, 90, 65 is I think what it is. It's somewhere around there. But I would love to have all of the electronics that you're talking about. I would love to have the the uh, trolling motor on the front, on the on the very front of this thing. And that would be decked out for me. I'd be ready to go. And I'd like to have some power poles on the back. You want to put five graphs on your jet boat? Yeah, I do. Absolutely. That's a <sighs> dream of mine. Absolutely. Get out of here. Absolutely. <laughs> And because I upgraded from the 6040 to the, I think it's 9065. You're going to have to get extra foam sprayed in this thing just so it floats. Let's bring it on. <laughs> Spray the sucker down. I want to have, you know, by the time that this got done and I got to the house, there's probably going to be new technology. You might as well just keep slapping the new stuff on as soon as it comes out that day. I think it's time for the next question. <laughs> Those would be awesome boats. Oh, man. When you and I stopped and looked at that icon the other day, you know, it was kind of this what if, but really probably having the realization that that is probably never going to happen for you and I to go to go buy a boat like that. And that is that is okay, but it, it is fun to stop and, and look and dream. Thankful to have the, the little tin boat that I do have to get to go out on the water. Absolutely. All right, next question, Ben. This one is for you and for you only. If there was an apocalyptic apocalyptic type emergency would you do your best to stay home and hunker down or would you pack up and hit the road you know that that question is one we talk about like the hypothetical of uh creek stewart survivalist he always talks about it's not if it happens but when and i think in most of our like spirit and soul like people have this understanding that that there is going to be an end and whether that be death as we normally know it today or the end of earth that we then remove ourselves from jesus comes back the whole apocalypse scene the thing that i don't understand is is do christians leave before or are we going to have to go through some of this crazy stuff i don't know and so i'm just planning on i'm going to go through the crazy stuff so that if I don't go through the crazy stuff, then what a blessing. Hallelujah, right. right? So in your question here, though, it's a great question, but I don't see a point to leave my home until I have to. And that's why we've actually had an episode of how to build a bug out bag. That's the whole point of the bug out bag. Like you really, I'm not going to leave my home until I have to. And then when it's time to go, I now have, I don't have to pack up. Like I'm packed. I'm ready to head out, right? But in this apocalyptic type emergency that you've you've got phrased here is my country after me is my own people after me are are the people around me after me yeah 
Like when you say apocalyptic, are, are we you just, having to kill people? Yeah. yeah. I mean, is this just, oh, we're having to look out for natural disasters, earthquakes, volcanoes, uh, the, the sun's getting too hot? Like, or are we in fear of the people around us? Because at some point you're always going to have to get with a, a group of people again. Even if you're uh, someone that's living off the grid, at some point you will have to reconnect with people or they probably won't leave you alive. Like, we have to build again, move from that tribal, I guess, move from tribal to empire up to hopefully to where we're at again. The point is, is I'm not going to leave my home because it has a majority of my safety and it has my people, right? Because even though I'm not super close to my neighbors, we are neighbors. We do help each other. And in this type of event, we should be banding together. I love my subdivision because it's only one way in. So we could barricade the road and it'd be very difficult for people to come in if we manned and barricaded our one-way entrance. I love that. Plus, I have some other secret stuff to to our northeast that helps us in this city. So like for for me in this example, I'm staying home. But if the National Guard's showing up, I'm grabbing my bug out bag, my fam, we're, we're, we're hitting it. I ain't hanging at the house just to protect my home. Like that's not wise in my account. So I hope that answers your question. Um, if there was an apocalyptic type emergency, what would I do? I'm staying home, and then I am already packed and ready right now if I had to leave tonight. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think you, you definitely answered it fully. Next question is a little more fun and not so oh, serious. Good. This one's also for you. Good. That, that got, woo, here we go. Someone has $1,000 and wants to get started with fishing gear, targeting Midwest lakes, what should they equip themselves with first? Yeah, that's a fun one. You know, the last part you said is what should they equip themselves with first? It sounds like to me then this is somebody that wants to get started. Yep. That's, well, so they want to get started. Yeah. And, I, and I think the point is like if you were to go through your boat, all your rods and reels and tackles, you have thousands on thousands on thousands of dollars. So they're not going to go out and just get that. They yeah. got a thousand. Yeah. Where are they going? The very first thing that I would equip them with, though, is the universal rod and reel. Like the one that, you, that if this is all they wanted to get, they could buy high end. They could go get a G Loomis rod for 650 bucks, and then they could go find the most expensive reel. And that would be $1,000. I would say a medium heavy seven foot rod, medium heavy, and like a 2,500 or depending on 30, probably. Yeah. 30. There's spinning reel. Yeah. When you look on that reel, you want to make for sure that that eight pound test is in the middle. Like I like a reel that's going to hold six, eight, and 10 for what I'm telling you. However, they've got 10 or they've got eight, 10, and 12. At the end of the day, find one that's going to hold however much line you want on for eight pound test. Cause that's also what I'm going to share with you. Get eight pound test on a medium sized spinning reel on that medium, heavy seven foot rod. That is the most universal setup there is. I, I would suggest that as your first one. Now, when you break down for $1,000, I got $1,000. I want to rig myself up for multiple things. I'm going to start off by talking finesse and then up to, I guess, the heavy stuff, right? So my finesse rod, I've got a, it's a, it's a light, medium light rod. It is six foot and I love it for the Ned rig. I take it to the creeks, the rivers, um, sometimes on the lake when I'm wanting to fish real finesse with six pound. That's what I'm throwing, Ned Rig style light baits. Then moving up, I am going to have a medium heavy ready. I love to throw a shaky head on my medium heavy. I love to throw uh, sometimes little jigs. So um, 
Sometimes they're called spider jigs now, but yeah. what I'm talking about, these real finesse jigs or just a craw, right? A craw on, on some sort of Ned looking head. You can move all the way up into your um, shaky head. You can't forget about the tube. All my life I've been fishing. I've always thrown a tube until about the last five years. I don't know why I've got away from it, but a tube on that style works so good as well. I would also then add in something to drop shot with. Um, I like my seven foot. It's actually a medium, but because it's seven foot and because it is more expensive, um, it has a little more of a backbone, but it works really well for my drop shot. It has a good backbone for when I lift up on it, but it's still flexible enough and, and light enough that that tip really kind of moves and bounces when you're wanting that, that drop shot to, to kind of play down there and, and dance. Um, that's kind of the spinning rod set up. We got three spinning rods there. There's three. So Let, let's say you went out and bought like a viable rod and reel combo. You're probably looking at 600, 150 bucks each on okay. those. So, going so you're probably looking okay. at 450 bucks in spinning rods. So that's not too bad. That's right. And and that's without line, right? <laughs> or so as you get into line, you know, I'm going to say it right now, the basics, um, is it Seeger? Did I say that right? Seeger or Seagar? I've heard people say it differently. You can go to Walmart for 11 bucks and buy a spool, and it has worked really well for me. Um, I've had some other fluorocarbons that have would break inside the spool. This has been really, really great. So get it, match it. It's been working great. Now let's get into baitcaster. You want to do some baitcasting? If you feel comfortable and know how to baitcast, I'm going to get right into, I want something to, I can have a moving bait, whether it be a crankbait, whether it be, a, I, we, I call them speed shads, but they are swim baits mm. um you know sometimes i'll even throw on there um my spinner baits if i don't have extras uh, uh, moving baits moving you're baits, not dragging them you. on the bottom you're reeling them and, and moving them yeah and you're gonna have to help me with this brian i forget the one that i have i love the most is is a it's a medium rod with a moderate action and then i also have a moderate rod with a fast action right and i like the medium with a moderate for my crankbaits and a medium fast for if I'm throwing my speed, uh, my speed shads, or um, even into my uh, swim jigs, different things like that. Well, something you're leaving out here. What is it? Is the material that the rod is made out of. So you have rods that are made out of different materials. Let's so have it. a lot of moving bait rods or crank bait rods is what they will be called. Even chatter bait rods. They're going to be what's called a composite rod. So they're made out of two different materials. You have fiberglass. Mm-hmm and you have your graphite, and there will be a blend inside that. What that does, it gives it a slower action and more of a parabolic bend, but you have less feel, but you don't need a lot of feel because you're fishing a moving bait, whereas your rods that you're dragging something on the bottom, they're almost all graphite, but the, the characteristics of that material make the rod bend and feel different. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking about having a medium rod with a moderate tip, that is a graphite rod but you're using it for a moving bait. Because if you go get a medium rod with a moderate tip that is a composite, it is going to be a floppy noodle. Yes. I like, I have moving bait rods. I have several, but if you were to go just get one, get a medium fast composite rod. Yes, I have one of those as well. What am I up to now? Wait, um, four rods? Four rods? You're at four rods, so you're looking at, $600. Okay, so I can maybe get two more. Yeah, Maybe sure. two more in. Yeah. So the other two that I would have with me. So let's recap. I've got something for Nessie. So I have, I've got like, 
uh, we'll say the little Ned rig style setup. I've got my shaky head. I've got a drop shot. So there's three there. I've also then got something for my moving bait. So that's my fourth. So a fifth is I'm always going to throw a jig. That's I'm always going to have a jig and it is going to be a seven foot medium heavy. Um, at least, uh, it does depend on if I'm using football or seven sixteenths, but at the end of the day, if you got a medium heavy seven foot you, with a fast tip, you, I mean, you're good, you're golden. Mm-hmm. Like it does depend. Sometimes I'm using 10 pound tests. Sometimes I use 12. Um, if you're just starting out, use 10. And if you start having problems with it, then jump up. So that would be for my jig. Yeah. Always going to have a jig on. That's what I use. Now, I guess if I can only have one more, I want something you got kind of top water, but then I also have the heavy bottom. So I could in theory, I could, but it depends on what line I'm putting on. I'm going to use braid for top water. So I'm going to need a rod set up for top water. I have used medium heavy before, but short rods that work good for me for my action when I really wanted to pop. But I have tried some of Brian's. I think Brian had a seven. Is it a seven six that you had? Uh, What's that black one that you had? Um, my frog rod? Yeah. No, it's a seven foot heavy. Okay, seven foot heavy. So yeah. the seven foot heavy was, I love the way you had that set up. Yeah. When I'm on the front of the boat and I'm really moving that frog and, and trying to get that frog to go left and right, I have found that if I get a shorter rod at a medium heavy, like a six, maybe a six, six, maybe, but well, right have in there. all these in-between lengths now, like six, nine, six, yeah. ten. Yeah. Yeah. And I found that the one that I found, I can work that bait really, really well with yeah. that. So it is preference, but you need some sort of top water bait. If I had a little money left. You don't. You're at okay. 900. So if you want to put line on any of these. I just want the listener, I want the listener here to know that really starting out, if you got one spinning rod, you're going to be able to do so much, especially in the Midwest. Yeah, one medium heavy, seven one foot spinner rod, yeah, you can do It's, it's going to do almost. The only thing is you would have to switch out your baits, retie, retie, retie. Mm-hmm. It is nice to have all the rods with all the different baits um, so that you, you can fill and so that the bait works like it's supposed to. So. Yeah. It, if you're really getting into like the, the pros, they're matching the right line diameter, line type yes. with the right lot, rod type and, and real. real speed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, spool size, all of these things. All it. it really goes into to the way these baits are designed. Pros are so involved in bait design now. If you go and ask a pro who designed a bait, they will tell you this is meant to be fished. Not only is it meant to be fished on 10-pound fluorocarbon, but this is meant to be fished on this brand's 10-pound fluorocarbon. That's what we tested it on, and it performs a little different. Yeah. But also a reel that is a 6-8 to 1 ratio and a rod that is 7-foot 1. They they really, really tune this in to their specifics Correct. and then put it on the market. You know, this is actually a really hard question because it is. this is a full podcast. Yeah. Like Because I want to keep going. Here's I want to add this really fast. It didn't say bass. That's True. what I went. I went with bass, right? Yeah, yeah. So it just said Midwest. Lakes. So you could use your heavy rod if you wanted to for catfish. You could use your medium heavy to heavy for walleye. You could use, when I was talking about that six foot um, light, ultralight rod, you could use that for crappie. Um, you could even use that ultralight or the the medium for white bass if you want to go white bass. So honestly, those five that we gave you. You covered a lot of species. You there, could cover yeah. a lot of species of fish too with. Um, you just may want to switch uh, to some different types of lines. So. Yeah. All right. You ready to move on? Let's go. Okay. I No, I want to keep talking about I, that. I know, me too. All right, too. we got to go, though. Yeah. Our time's taken. Your, oh, this is for Brian. This is for Brian. Here we go, Brian. That's your question. I'm ready. Your kid 
Let's just say that it's your older kid, okay? Okay. Your kid asks you why teacher is wrong when they say dinosaurs were here millions of years ago and the earth is billions of years old. Can you explain for us? So explain for, oh, explain it for a young child to grasp using biology and theology. Okay. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, yeah. Really, really good question. Really deep question. Um, that that is kind of like a podcast we've done. I we mean, actually did a podcast series. Yes. It, we couldn't even do it in one episode. I forget how many episodes it was, but it was several on evolution versus creation. And that and that really is what is being asked about here. I think the reason that, that dinosaurs is included in this question is dinosaurs is probably the number one thing used to indoctrinate children into this worldview of hundreds of millions of years, Earth age, which fits evolution, which is completely... Um, against God. It, it fits the world view of, uh, it's a secular yeah, worldview. I mean, I mean, evolution came out of saying there is no God. We're not going to believe in what God or the Bible says. So what else can we do? Right. Like, and, and I want to point out, like looking at history, this whole hundred million, hundreds of millions of years old earth, this hasn't been around that long, only mm-hmm. a couple hundred years. Mm-hmm. Most of the earth's existence, most people believed the earth was new, meaning five, 6,000 years old. And so this is fairly new just in the last few hundred years. I also want to point out without going completely into evolution versus creation, I love logic. Mm. I love following a line of logic, mm-hmm. connecting the dots. Evolution does not have a line of logic to follow, and it drives me crazy because of how many billions of people blindly believe it and trust it. Well, to what, help people understand, at the core, it is basically saying that everything came from nothing. nothing, And that's just not logical. Nothing cannot come, something cannot come, come from, from nothing. nothing. It is an impossibility. Secondly, evolution literally says that we, we had all of these basic, simple things, literally starting with single-celled organisms that came from nothing, and they've evolved into the complexities that you get to experience today amazing creatures and animals and sights and sunsets and all of these things and everything has evolved over time evolution says that things have gotten better and more complex if you look out at the world the same scientists are going to tell you that the world is being damaged and everything is being ruined so evolution says that things are getting better but if you look out at our world it's being destroyed and being ruined those two things don't go hand in hand they contradict each other and so there isn't a line of logic to follow there, and that drives me crazy. Yeah, good point, but... Dinosaurs. Dinosaurs. We have fossils. Scientists, whether they are secular or whether they believe in creation, all have the same ones. Their view of the world leads them to different conclusions. We have them so we know they were here. We have the fossils. We know they were here. We can see size that they were. How long have they been finding fossils? I mean, fossils have been around for how long? Forever. Forever. So right. even the people 300, 400, 500, 600 are finding fossils just like we are today. Right. I mean, they're dig- they're they're digging and building just like we are, right? Correct. So, it, but well, for, to have things fossilized, by definition, things have to be buried very, very quickly under lots and lots of layers. Rapid. Rapid. Right. For things to fossilize, otherwise they would decay completely. So 
have to be covered rapidly, not just covered a little bit by a little soil and then another little soil. And then a hundred million years later, you've got 30 feet of soil over it to fossilize. That isn't, by definition, it doesn't even fit a fossil. That's so, not how science works. <laughs> right. So I read the Bible mm-hmm. and I read about the flood. Right. And I read about water covering the whole earth and these, ra- I mean, just absolutely cataclysmic earth events and then the flood receding. It was destructive. It was completely destructive. Mm -hmm. So that fits, that fits that layers and layers would have covered very, very quickly over all living things. And if it wasn't on Noah's Ark, it got killed. So that fits creating all these fossils. But that says dinosaurs would have had to be here. Well, you go look at the creation account in Genesis and on day six, God says that he created all creeping thing and beasts. Beast. All creeping things and beasts of the earth. He even goes to say that cattle. So he like, singles out cattle and then beasts. So I think the whole point is God is like, yeah, I made all the walking, but there was things bigger, badder, like we had beasts. Well, you know, you see that today still. We have animals that we can dom- domesticate, mm-hmm. and then there's animals that we can't, and we don't. Correct. And that's, I think it's what we see here. There's, there's these animals that are domesticated already and ones that are not. And and even inside the ones that are not, you're talking behemoth. Right. Like, scary. To, <laughs> scary. Yeah. And so, so then you have to go to the assumption, okay, if you're following the Bible, and I shouldn't say assumption because it's, it, it is an assumption because I'm reading the word of right, God. Right. Noah was to build the ark and God sent him all the animals to fill it. Mm-hmm. Dinosaurs would have had to go on that, but then you have to talk about the term dinosaur. We have made we have this word dinosaur, and when we talk about it, we are referencing the dinosaurs that we watch on TV that are made up from fossil records that we found. Mm-hmm. Some of them we haven't even found. Some of them we found pieces of. Think about this really quick. I remember when I was telling my folks, grandparents, great grandparents, about the internet. When I would say, oh, I'm, I got on the internet today, they looked at me like, what in the world are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Like, look at how quickly, within 20 years, everyone knows internet. Right. So there wasn't a thing called dinosaurs, is what you're saying. Like, we're, we made this word called dinosaurs yeah, the within beast, the last- Beast, behemoth, and giants are the words in the Bible. Yeah. And yep. so, again, I think, well, because the Bible used these words, let's use something different. So now we're, we're using words like dinosaur, and then we put definition to what that is. Mm-hmm. And does dinosaur today align with what scientists are saying today? Is that aligning with what what God's word says? What I would tell a kid, I I probably need to sum this up if I were going to tell a five or six year old. You're telling your son. How about that? I'm telling telling my son. He's five. I would say, son, we've talked about Noah's Ark, Mm -hmm. what happened before we had dinosaurs, probably lots of them roaming the earth and the fossils that we find today are from after the flood god wiped out everything that was left that wasn't on that boat and then once the boat made landfall god said go populate the earth but we have seen and our fossil records also show all these climatic changes over time from dinosaurs to to we have all kinds of species that have went extinct behemoths big ones dodo birds i mean we have tons and tons of species that have been extinct yeah. because of human impact and climatic impact so 
whatever dinosaurs were on Noah's Ark that got off, they're gone now just the way of many other species because of human impact and climatic change. But that's what I do want to share this, though. In sharing with your son, it's hard to let him know, like, hey, dinosaur is a little different than behemoth. Because what I mean is, is on the ark, we're talking about behemoths here, right? These big, large animals. They, I don't believe they were just reptiles. Right. They would have been ma- mammals as well. We don't like, know if they they're had They're behemoths. Right. right. But we then are only sticking to this word dinosaur as reptilian. Right. Right. So what about the woolly mammoth? That thing wasn't reptilian. Mm-hmm. And so in sharing with your kid, I think it's important that if you're bringing up Noah's Ark, helping them understand that it wasn't some fairy tale with these bubbly animals. Right. This was death, destruction. It wasn't good. It was a it was God's wrath upon. It was a judgment. Right. And that impacted not only the animals, but the people. Mm-hmm. And so from there, the fossil record we're finding, we see that that flood literally answers why these these big, large behemoths are buried quickly right. and rapidly, and that's why we're finding fossils today. Sin came into the world, so there is death. So that's why we see species go extinct. That's why we have mass <laughs> cataclysmic right. events like the flood sin. because of sin and, and, the, and the curse. So, the curse, absolutely. Um, I firmly believe that the world is only about 6,000 years old. Right. And the flood explains so much. When you look at an evolutionary explanation of dinosaurs, it's really a mystery. But the Bible does actually explain it. Even so much so that before the curse, dinosaurs would have been here, but all animals were herbivorous. Mm -hmm. So they weren't going around eating people. Dinosaurs wouldn't have been these massive man-eating beasts. They wouldn't have been that at the time until the curse occurred. Yeah. And I'm going to add here real quick because this topic, like Brian is is passionate about this, and I, I think he's sharing it to all of the listeners right now even more than just his kid. And so if Brian was truly going to sit down and talk with his son, if, if when, when, which I have done this, but when I have to sit down with my son again because I know that Dinosaurs is going to be coming up soon and he's in third grade, I, I want to first, I'm going to open the Bible. I'm going to use the Bible to explain it. I'm not going to let dinosaurs explain the Bible. I'm mm-hmm. not going to switch it, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I'm if saying. you're looking for the word, those word, that behemoth word, you're yeah. talking about Job 40. Job 40. Yeah. I'm going to start there with him to let him know that, hey, the Bible does talk about dinosaurs. There are so many people that, that actually believe that our word, God's word, doesn't have anything about dinosaurs in it. And I'm telling you, it does. So I'm going to start there with the Bible. I'm going to let him know about what it talks about these large animals. I'm also going to tell him and help him understand about the flood. And then lastly, because they're merging dinosaurs in millions of years ago, that's that's been something I've been talking to my son about a lot. Like every time I hear millions of years ago, yeah. I look at my son and I'm like, we don't we don't even actually have any way to test no. for millions of years. All no. the tests they claim, carbon dating, all these things that radioisotopes, they decay faster than millions of years so there are so many assumptions made. It, it's historical science. We're, we can't actually perform experiments because you're trying to do science on 350 million years ago. Mm-hmm. We have no way to test it. So it is just mystery, but the Bible is not mystery. Absolutely. Also, it's a, it's a historical account. It, because I have had to answer this question before with my son, I took him to the art museum and wow, it's impressive. It is so awesome. The information they have, the the animal, the 
just going inside this thing and seeing how big by following what scripture says, how big it was, guys, it is incredible. Like Mm -hmm. you need to go experience it. And when you go in there, you're going to see how realistic, like how realistic all of this is and how true it is and how God doesn't lie. It's what he says is what he does. And it's awesome. You got to check it out. I think we got to move on to the next one. Even though I could spend like a few weeks on that last one, I, I would love to dive into just so many details in my brain. And then when I dive into research more and more and more, but let's, you know let's what? go on. Well, I, and we are going to go. I think maybe there's one more thing to quickly say here. This says your kid asks, your your kid asks you why your teacher is wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and that's actually probably the first thing I would have to address is because I don't want to tell my son, hey, your teacher is cuckoo. You know, because yeah. that he's going to have to be or she's going to have to be with that teacher for the rest. I'm going to let my son know that there are people that believe in the thing called evolution. Us as Christians should believe in creation. And that's what I'm going to share the differences. And I'm going to say, son, and I have had to say, son, there have been people, there will yeah. be people that that, don't, that tell you things. The creation account really isn't that confusing. Read it no. to them. Right. Yeah. I just let, let them know that there will be more teachers that will share things with you that aren't true. So when you come home, we'll always talk about it and talk through it. And that's the best you can do. Like, that's it. Because at the end of the day, do dinosaurs get me to heaven or hell? Mm-mm. Nope. But I think it's the start of what the devil has done to our education to try to get our kids off yeah. the track it's of hearing that, the gospel. It's that first step to latch them on to a, a secular worldview. Secular worldview. Yep. yep. All right. Um, next question. Looks like this is for you. Holy cake. Are you ready again? I'm ready. What are the biological things that make deer, mule deer, elk, moose, caribou, reindeer the same as well as obviously different? Super good question. Well, you you like this one because people will be like, um, I want to go cure, I'm going to go kill a deer. And you're yeah. like, well, well, what kind of deer? Because yeah. everyone thinks that white-tailed deer are the only deer. Right. So I like that this listener knows that there's deer, mule deer, there's yeah. different uh, types. Yeah, That's I listed good. several of our, our North American species. <laughs> Funny thing about scientists is they can't even agree on how many deer species there are in the world. Well, how, ma- how many are there? So if you take all of them that all the scientists are saying, we're going to say that there's 55, but there's really only around 40 that are agreed upon. What happens is that there's like a, a little more than a dozen that um, is argued whether or not they are the same species as this other species. You've got like subspecies of fallow deer and some scientists are like, no, that is the common fallow. And it gets it gets pretty wild. They can't even agree on all that. But we're keeping it much simpler than that today. The real two big things that make a deer a deer, um, deers are cervids. So these are all cervids. They have antlers and split hooves. And split hooved animals are also ruminants, which means they require bacteria, microorganisms present inside their gut. A lot of times it's a, a chambered stomach to digest their food, and they're going to regurgitate and chew cud as well. Um, split hooves, ruminants, they have antlers. There is only one deer species in the world that we know of that does not have antlers, and that is the Chinese water deer. What? I've not even heard of that. (laughs) Chinese water deer? Chinese water deer is the only one without antlers. Hey, maybe that'll be my new hunting list. (laughs) I'll have to look that up. But outside of that, you're looking at the ones that we all know here in North America that, that were listed there, elk, mule deer, moose, caribou, Caribou, reindeer are, are the same thing. Um, they are either going to fall into one of two classes of cervids. You have 
the Old World deer, Cervinae, or the New World deer, Capriolinae. And the only difference between those two groups of animals is a toe. You mean they only have one toe or two toes? There is the New World deer have a distal metatarsal that is present. The Old World do old old world deer that is a mouthful they do not have that distal metatarsal te- present and the distal metatarsal is it's a like a little toe ankle bone so the ankle structure foot structure of these deer is the only real biological difference besides diet and the biome and stuff that they look in and of course we can look at them and say oh a moose is ginormous and dark brown and a white tailed deer is 120 pounds and tan we can see all those things so i don't think we need to cover all of that they have antlers they're split hooved but the real biological difference that makes up these two different classes old world and new world deer is just a simple tiny little bone structure in the ankle well i guess that's the answer then there we go and so elk fallow deer sicka deer those are all your old world servonets then your moose, whitetail, mule deer, caribou, those all fall into your Capriolinae New World. Hey, do you know this? Uh, you may not know this off the top of your head. I know that reindeer, which are caribou, um, both male and female, have antlers. Mm-hmm. Are there any other of these species here that have both male and female have the antlers? That's the only one. Only one. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Looks like he's got some more questions here. Oh, Brian's up again. I like that. I'm on a rope. Has the outdoors ever been used in a practical way to help you through a tough time in your life, Brian? It absolutely has. I'm not going to go into details of tough times, but one of the reasons um, that I am so connected to the outdoors, one of the reasons I seem to have an understanding of its restorative power is growing up, I was blessed to live in a place where uh, my family's land actually backed up to 3,000 acres of state land, of public land, open for public use. Mm. And so when life was hard, maybe things weren't good in my home. They weren't always. Tough day at school, whatever it was, that's where I went to be alone. I'm one of those people that when I need to recharge, I need to be alone. And when I would go do that, I immediately felt better. Um, And then you, I would sit there and it was before cell phones and I would just go and I would explore and I'd find cool rock outcroppings and I would just sit there and putting words to what I, what I feel and know now is that I was in creation without distraction and I am part of creation. So I can't be removed from it. I I was with, I am God's creation in God's creation and, and God can meet you there, You, you know, looking through, the Bible and where God used the outdoors as he did the majority of his teaching was in the outdoors. Mm -hmm. And so to be in the outdoors, I believe he can really meet you there, get outside the walls of your home. Um, Even to this day, even if I just am going through a work day, Ben, you and I do this all the time. And we're like, man, I just, I don't feel off right now. I don't feel very good. We just step out the back door, let the sunshine hit you. Our bodies are built to soak up vitamin D from sunlight. Think about the amazement of that. Like that gives me awe of our creator right there. But just to go out and feel the breeze, smell the smells of the outdoors, feel the sunshine on your skin, it makes you feel better, even if it's just one step outside your front door. So 
honestly, the answer to that is my entire life, that is where I have to go, what I have to do to be recharged and to feel better. Yeah, you also talked about uh, maybe stepping away, being alone. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's something powerful too. Uh, it's it's more powerful to to walk through the walk along the creek alone than it is going. You're locking yourself in a room and laying on your bed. So um, that's really good. Uh, next question. This one's for us both. Oh yeah. Oh, favorite outdoor memory, memory as a child. As a child. Oh man, outdoor memory. That's that's actually really hard because there's there are so many memories. I don't necessarily have like one favorite. Well, because we're so blessed. We spent a lot of time from young, young childhood in mm-hmm. the outdoors, and, and that is a blessing. Like, it is hard when you spend so much time outdoors to to just put a put your finger on it because every experience is unique. You and I could take the boat and go fishing today, and go tomorrow in the same boat in the same place at the same time, and the experience would be so so unique. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sitting here while you're talking. Actually, Brian, I didn't even hear what you said because I was, I was sitting here recapping and thinking about. I think what came to mind here when when it said favorite outdoor memory, it's was the people. So I started thinking about my uncle Dusty, my uncle Tobe, my uncle Josh, my dad, my stepdad, my grandpa, my step grandpa. I got to thinking about like how each one of these men, at different points in my life, had taken me out to either hunt or fish. Or sucker grab, like just the all the things that we have done. Um, as a child, though, so looking way back, because my father, my father uh, was a drug addict. So because of his life, because of how that pulled him away from us, being my family, uh, my mom and my sister, there was a time that he took me fishing that stands out the most. I caught one of the biggest bass I had ever caught, and it was a six-foot flat bottom, so tiny, like so tippy. I don't know how we survived, but being in that, I caught one of the biggest bass I ever did. I remember that was on a Zebco ultralight spinning rod, and I bought, it was when Spider Wire just came out with their, um, well, spider line, which yeah. was... Um, uh, Kind of like a braid almost. Yeah, yeah. It, it was like the first braid really. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's perfect. Like I ain't got to worry about it. And I put that on this itty bitty, basically as a trout reel, is so yeah. tiny. And I caught one of the biggest bass I'd ever caught. But I did that with my dad, you know, and then dad's in and out, in and out, in and out. And then you grow up and you don't really have that moment. So that one day of fishing with him, probably what I would pick is, I don't know if it's my favorite, but I think it it's the most... Um, near to me you know ben well first thank you for sharing that and what i'm about to say is is not a knock on your father at all he's he's involved today he mm-hmm. knows christ he loves christ um Absolutely. so thankful to to get to know him and to have him around now uh, we all go through different crazy journeys in our life but people ask me all the time what i'm so what i am most passionate about in the outdoors is it but Jesus Christ is above all of that. Mm-hmm. And what I want to share and instill in other people is that fatherhood is so important. The man is the head of the family. We should be following Christ to be great husbands and great fathers and not allowing the devil to come in and break it because 
the devil does attack the men because he knows the power that we have and the importance that we have in our families. And I, I would guess that if you asked many, many adults about favorite memories growing up, the majority of them are going to answer something with their father. Right. Right. Even, Absolutely. even when the story is that their father was absent, my answer of my favorite outdoor experience is also my father, but my encouragement I want to give to anyone who is a father listening, take it serious. It is so serious. Even if your upbringing, pardon my French, sucked, you can be the generational change. You can be the one that steps in and breaks generation after generation after generation of bad and curse. And the way you do that is by following Jesus Christ and having a relationship with him, you have to have him. You cannot do it on your own, no matter how stinking strong you think you are. So dads, husbands, step up, take it very serious, and follow your leader, Jesus Christ. Yes. Uh, You saying all that, you know, that main question of being a favorite outdoor memory, it it is just so stinking hard. I've got, so, uh, yeah, I've got... Uncle Rick and Uncle Danny, they took me outdoors, and I'm just now recalling this. They took me outdoors, but guess what? It was golfing. I mean, that's where I, that's who I learned how to golf from, and that is another outdoor memory that I just had. Right, I keep recalling yeah. them, man. And my mom, grandma taking me to the creek. I can't pick them, but lots of them good. They're but all meaningful. M- mine sure. is with my dad too, and I'm gonna say uh, it was my first white-tailed deer harvest. Uh, I th- I want to say I was 11. No, no, I wouldn't have been 11. I would have been. I would have been 13. I would have been 13. I was supposed to go that 11, 12 year. Um, but at the end of that 12 year, like a month before deer season, I actually uh, had a really bad bicycle accident and I broke my femur. And I had to have uh, surgeries and bedridden for weeks and, and crutches and all this. So I couldn't, my doctor wouldn't allow me to shoot a high powered rifle because of the trauma to my leg and. You get it, the whole story there. So I had to miss the first year that my dad was actually willing to take me. And as a child and watching your dad go hunt and then come home with deer is like almost like that christening into manhood. Like I wanted to go be a man and harvest my own deer. So yeah, yeah. then it came time and I had to miss it and wait a whole nother year. It was just, oh, I just remember how broken hearted I was over that. So it finally came time, 13, I get to go. I'm with my dad. And he has just this, I just remember looking up at this tree like, this has got to be the biggest tree on planet Earth. <laughs> like, you put your you put your tree stand in this, and I have to climb up it. And at the time, we didn't have all the crazy tree stands that we have now. He literally took giant, like, railroad spike nails and made a ladder by sticking them into this tree. But it was like one of those trees that was actually like three main trunks, Mm-hmm. And so you're climbing up, oh, so dangerous, but I had to climb this in my big old clunky rubber boots. And I was just like, I'm going to get up this. And the, they were gapped. The steps were gapped for a six foot two man, not a 13 year old <laughs> child. But he comes up behind me, you know, and helps me get up in there. And then I get up in there and I swear this thing is 30 feet high. It was so high. Uh, I was nervous. I was scared, but I was with my dad. Right, right. He was there with me. I was with him. We sat and we sat and we sat. We really didn't see anything. And I started to get discouraged. And he kind of asked me what I wanted. And I was like, I'm going to shoot the first thing that that I can that's legal. And finally, the furthest away you could possibly see from this tree stand 
I think it was about 120 yards. And of course, I want something closer because it's my first one. Here come this line of five does. And they come walking out. And by the time I get ready, the last one is out. And that's the one I have to take. So I get steady over the railing of the tree stand. It's like 120 yards. I've never practiced that far. I only practiced like 50 yards. Bang! I pull the trigger. By the time I open my eyes, of course I close my eyes, all the deer are gone. (laughs) And I'm looking at my dad like, what happened? Don't even have an emotion to feel like discouragement or elation. No idea what happened. Mm -hmm. No, I think you got her. She kicked. I think you got her. Yeah, she ran. And in my mind, I'm envisioning that this deer just drops and falls and it's not laying there. So I'm like, don't even know what emotion to feel. Mm -hmm. Then my dad's explained the whole process. You have to wait, get down, make a long story short. We get down there. There is blood. And so you do the whole blood trailing thing. We find this doe that I'd harvested. I made an awesome shot. So to have your dad just, I just remember that. You didn't even practice that far. It was 120 yards. That, you know, great shot. Just to feel that approval of, yeah, yeah, I did it. And then to go through the whole process of of field dressing the deer and and getting it back to the house. And I remember this deer didn't know it when I shot it, but once we found her, we did. She had actually been shot by an archer with a really poor shot in her, it was like in her hind leg and up into her back. She had an arrow and broadhead stuck in her back. And so that was really vivid memory to me that 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 was there. But, um, just being with my dad, getting to feel that christening into manhood of harvesting my own deer and bringing home the meat to my mom and my sister and and getting to show and take the pictures. I'll never forget it. Isn't it awesome? Yes. Now we're going to, we're going to move a little quicker or try to here. Um, I'm glad you shared that though. That was an awesome memory, Brian. And, and I hope that our listeners can relate to that. They've had those experiences as well. Um, our next question is favorite outdoor memory with your own kid or children. Let's do this really fast. I don't have a favorite because it seems like each time I take my child out, there is a new experience, which new memories, new thoughts, new emotions, new growth, um, new questions. Yeah, you make I new, love it all. Make a new great memory every time. <laughs> every time. You yeah, do. Yeah. So because of that, I'm going to use my most recent one. And that was uh, when my oldest son got to go out on the boat with me. And he caught a bass with a lure he picked, the cast that he called and made, it reeled in. He did it all, all by himself. And he was so proud, and I was so proud of him, uh, just seeing the elation, and that he actually did it with without Dad. Um, but he was, that's my first lake. That's my first lake bass out of the boat. So yeah. that was a really good memory. I guess the most recent for me is my son, I usually have to ask my son to go with me. Hey, do you want to go fish? Do you want to go hunt? Last weekend he said, hey, Dad, can we go throw some discs? And we ended up going from playing outside to the next day going playing 18, 18 holes at one of our local courses. Disc golf. Disc golf. Yeah. Correct. And that was a blast. He did a fantastic job. Uh, next question for both of us. Does your wife share any of your passion for the outdoors? And if so, what area of the outdoors does she enjoy the most? So this is for both of us here. Can I go first? Yeah, absolutely. So my wife likes the outdoors. We've been camping um, we've done some backpacking, fishing trips. We went to Puerto Rico because um, she loves the beach and I love to fish. And we got to peacock bass fish. Of course, she always tells the story. She beat me because she bought, you know, she caught the biggest because she's better peacock than bass because she's better than yeah. me. However, she doesn't love the outdoors. And what I mean by that is it isn't something that she like. If we were going to plan a weekend fun getaway, like to relax, she's not going to think, oh, let's get the tent right and hunting. She doesn't do a whole lot of hunting. 
but she loves being outside, like loves it. She loves to soak in the sun. And her summertime, summertime is a favorite for her. She loves being out in the sun in the summertime. Well, she's always cold. So. Because she's always cold, it like feels good to her. She absolutely loves it. And she's um, always working with plants. Um, but whenever I go somewhere, especially when me and the kids go, she wants to be there as well. So, you know, she may not fish the entire time. She may read a book. Um, but she isn't she isn't terrified of the outdoors. Um I just know that when she, when like relaxing would be like laying out at the beach with mm-hmm. the waves, like that's what she loves, but we don't live, <laughs> we don't live there. So <laughs> that would be a relaxing vacation for her. Right. Yep. How about yep. your wife? Well, for me, like when it comes to the hunting and fishing, um, my wife couldn't care less about those things, but she does. She, my wife, something my wife and I, we've always connected on is that we love to be active, like we love to exercise. We go on vacation. And, and one of the great things about vacation is that we can get up every day and exercise and not go to work and not have to deal with kids. So something we love to do is just a hike, whether it's down the beach or along the trail at the lake. We love to hike, just walk in the neighborhood. We like to be outdoors, walking, getting that exercise. That's a great way to spend time together and, and just chat, but also have the benefit of exercise outdoors. Right. She also loves the sun. She loves to lay by the pool, get mm-hmm. the sun. But something that has kind of, uh, we have kind of uh, had kindred spirits on over the years is we both love to garden. Yeah. So we have a yeah. garden every year yes. and, and we love to garden and grow vegetables and enjoy the harvest of our garden together. That's so, why, that's why your garden's so pretty because yeah. she does it. Yeah. Not, not, pretty yeah. girl, pretty garden. Has nothing they to do go with good you. together. You know, I want to add that my wife also, you said, uh, the question was sharing of your passions for the outdoors. I think my wife truly understands that when the kids go outside and play, when they come back in they're better. Mm. Like their, their energy, less energy, they feel renewed. So like my wife understands that there's time for them to watch TV. There's a time to let them play all their video games, but she instinctually knows like, all right, TV off, video games off outside. And then they go, you know? And so it's, it's awesome to have, uh, someone that agrees with me in that. It's hard. It's hard to have a spouse. You don't agree with everything, but it's as far as raising kids and morals, it's hard to have a spouse and a unified relationship that you don't. My wife is also the same. She is always pushing my kids to go outside, understanding the value of that. For my birthday, what I asked for, I love the Arkansas Razorbacks. I wanted to watch. When you have young kids, you don't get to watch sports. I wanted to watch the Razorback game from start to finish. Unfortunately, it was super boring football game, but she took the kids to the creek. Right. She met another one of her friends with their kids, and they took the kids to the creek to play outside. And when the kids came back, her, the kids, they were all happy. They were all tired. They were all hungry, which are all good things to be. Yeah. Um, so she understands the benefit of that, and she isn't afraid to go do it. So I appreciate that, too. Definitely. All right, I'm going to go quick here. Do you prefer to hunt from a stationary spot, i.e. a standard blind, or be on the move? Yeah, I'm going to assume Let, that's about deer, deer hunting. Let's do deer. Yes. Yeah, I'm going to assume that's about deer hunting. And for so, me... For Brian, yep. This is for me. Uh, ben, I'm different than you on this. Yeah. I yeah. like to be in a stand or blind. I like to... the. I love the vantage point. I love getting up high in the tree. Uh, much over blinds. Um, blinds take away from the rest of my senses, hearing, seeing, even smelling. smelling. Yeah, yeah. I like to be in a tree stand high, and I love the the strategy of where you're positioning that at and the trees that you're choosing. That's good. I think a blind's good for kids. Yes. Uh, a, a, a maximizer. Yeah. I prefer to be on the move, but your hunting experiences 
are been so much different than yes. mine. Yes, yes. Uh, favorite species of fish to go for. This is for me. You know, I said I, I I would love my dream is to go smallmouth fishing. That is my dream. When it says favorite species of fish to go fishing for, though, I'm going to say largemouth bass, and it's going to be that that Florida strain. Like I want to catch a double digit bass. You're probably never going to do that with a smallmouth. My odds are to to do that with a largemouth. So yeah. I say largemouth. That's where I want to go. But my dream trip would be catching those those bronze backs, dude. Like yeah. be all. Yeah. Uh, next question. It's this for is both. For both. Of us. Okay, ten thousand is... acres on a ranch in Montana, or ten thousand in the Ozarks. Uh, Brian, you go first on you this. Want me one. to go yeah, first. Yeah, you go first. You, go you first. know, by reading this question, it, somebody would probably say this one's this one's going to get them. This one's going to stump them. They're going to have to think. I answered so fast on this, and it is ten thousand acres in, in the Ozarks. Ozarks. Me too. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Real so, quick reasons and overviews why I love the Ozarks. Uh-huh. When I look at land. I see it as a canvas. And because I love the Ozarks, because I have studied biology in the Ozarks, I know it best. I would have a hard time out in Montana. Plus, I love the people here, and my dream is to own land to impact my community, and I would want to build it for the people here in the Ozarks to come uh, for their programs. How much bass fishing is there in Montana? (laughs) Probably not. I I don't even know. I can't even think of it. So that's why I'm going to say Ozarks. Now, if we were smart, though, Brian, one of us would go to Montana and have 10,000, and one of us would stay here in the Ozarks and do 10,000. We have 20,000 20, acres together, and we could just go back and forth on it. And I'd get away from you. <laughs> get! <laughs> Next question. Beach or mountain vacation? This is both. I'm going mountain every time. This seems like a simple question, but it it's is actually so tough simple. for me. No. I go on more beach vacations than I do mountain vacations because, because my, my wife, wife loves the beach. Yes. I am different than you. You hate sand. I cannot stand sand. It's awful. I like sand. Ugh. I also love the beach. I love to experience all the flora and fauna of these tropical places because it is salt so, water and you can't open your eyes and come on. It's so different than where we live here. <laughs> but if I were to get to go plan, you gave me 10 grand, I got to go plan uh, an awesome vacation and I was only self-focused on me. I'd probably have to go to the mountains. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's it is for you. Yeah, he didn't put family in here. She didn't put family in here. Yes. All right, here we go. Nineteen says and this is for Brian. Are you ready, Brian? I am ready. Prefer to go morning or evening hunting? I, you know, it depends on the time of year. If you're really wanting to strategize correctly, early season is more. You really only want to hunt in the evening. But I love when it starts to get cool. That those. Late October, early November morning hunts. Mm. The morning air is different than the air the rest of the day. The smells are different. But to get up there in your stand while it is still dark, watch the sun rise, and literally feel and see the world come to life from the insects to the animals, to the fog rising and disappearing, and the sun going up, the clouds, this, I mean, I love that experience, the owls going to bed, the hawks coming out to hunt. You you have this, really this division and almost a world of night and day, and to experience that right there in the morning, um, it it's, it's near and dear to me, and I have a lot of memories of experiences and things I've witnessed um, in the morning, watching the world come to life. I, I like mornings. Next question is... For you, Ben, very similar, but 
morning or evening fishing? What is your preference? What you said about what happens in the woods happens on the water. And so I prefer morning. I also want to add in that 30 minutes before sunrise is is visible. Like, let's say that the sun is going to rise at 615. Mm-hmm. Then at 545, that is first light. Like, you can begin to see your hands, feet. Yeah. So that is when I like to be out. It's Call 30, that legal shooting light. Legal shooting time or, well, you can fish anytime. Yeah. yeah. Um, but on the water, well, I'm, I'm telling you that 30 minutes before to then... So let's say sunrise is at 6.15. So 30 minutes before, so 5.45, and then 30 minutes after from 6.15 to 6.45, that hour slot, there is just a whole like crazy time on the water than, than the rest of the day. Like the movement, the fish movement, the shallow bite, the, the top water, the, the movement of all these bait and bigger fish, it just comes to life like bubbles and I love it. Yep. And it's one of the most, well, it is, to me, it's the best time to actually catch my fish that, that early. I love it. That's when I would go. Morning fishing and morning hunting are our favorites. Next question is for both of us. What is your favorite food to cook and eat while outdoors? I'll, I'll go quick. If it's me personally, if I'm cooking for my family, I love to, to grill steaks uh, right over the right over firewood. We do it on a uh, grill rack. Just put all the firewood, cook steaks, love it. If I'm guiding a trip and we're doing outdoor eating, pizza, letting them make their pizza, they're hungry, starving, wanting something good, pizza would be the way to go for me on backpacking. Yes. I will say this. Whatever you are cooking and eating outdoors just seems to taste better. Sure does, doesn't it? Especially after a long day. Oh, It's good. But my favorite is actually allocating your own food. So after, if you're in deer camp and you make the harvest, this food has literally been i'm talking you harvested this maybe an hour ago the most tender cut of a deer is called the tenderloin and it's different than the rest of the meat because you actually have to go inside the carcass of the animal inside the rib cage right below the last ribs to grab this tenderloin and it is so tender you don't need a knife you can just grab it and peel them out and you take those to a hot hot grill and you cook them for like I don't know, two or three minutes. I'm going to say two minutes on each side. It is so fresh. You <sighs> harvested it. You cooked it. It, it is so good. good. Yeah. So fresh venison that I harvested is my favorite food to cook outdoors. Okay. All right. Perfect. Uh, what's the next question here? The next question is for you, Ben. Sweet. Would you rather get into a big mess of white bass or crappie and why? If I'm taking someone out to fish... White bass is going to be the way to go because I believe they're easier to catch than crappie. But for me, me personally, being selfish, I'm going by myself. I'm going for me. I'm going crappie. They, to me, they taste better. And both of those species, if I'm catching them, I'm catching them to keep them to eat them. I usually do not release white bass or crappie unless they're not of size. And so if I had to pick crappie is the way, um, there's not a lot of fat. It's super white meat. And, oh, man, is it good. That's why. Brian, this question is for you. What would be the, hang on, what would be the best first, in quotes, big kid, gun to get your kid? So I guess they're not asking about a BB or yeah. pellet gun. So uh, By uh, big kid, not not air, not air, air power. Air driven, yeah. Not yeah, air yeah. power. Yeah. 
And my answer is, is pretty short, pretty sweet. I'm going to say a 410 shotgun. The reason for that, it is easy to shoot. It is safer to shoot than any type of rifle, like right. a 22 rifle. 22, a lot of people right. are going to say 22, but a 22 is dangerous. They can go more, far. more people yep. die from a 22 caliber firearm than any other caliber in the world. They go far. They ricochet. They the 410 around. shotgun, yeah. uh-huh. you can squirrel hunt with it. You can turkey hunt with it. You can dove hunt with it. You can rabbit hunt with it. You can use it for so many hunting things that are great for a first gun, but you still get that experience of feeling the bang, feeling the kick, getting used to guns. The one downside, the biggest downside to a 410, 410 was my first gun, by the way, is that the ammo can be hard to get and it is expensive. Today. Today. Today, yeah. It is. I would probably even go, I would probably get a single, like a, a single shot, a single shot yep. so that you, you understand your child. Once they shoot, you're not worried about an extra load yeah. and boom without you controlling it. It's, so. it's safe. Yeah. They get to learn about guns right. and they can actually go use it for something. That's good. Yep. That's good. All right. Looks like we have three questions left. We're almost there. Here we go. Here we go. This one's for you, Benny boy. Sweet. Lay it on me. Why are you so passionate about sharing your love for God and the outdoors as a package to anyone who will listen. You know, reading this next question, let's go ahead and pair them together because they're pretty similar. Okay, okay. Why do you believe the outdoors is so healing and such a great place to experience God? I think you can kind of answer both of those at once. Right. So one more time, why do I believe that the outdoors is so healing and such a great place to experience God? And also why are why am I so passionate about sharing my love for God and the outdoors as a package. As a package, as together. To anyone who will listen, okay? So since we're combining those two, I'm going to say that the outdoors does not heal. So they're saying, like, here, outdoors is so healing. If the outdoors truly healed people, then in the pioneer days, we wouldn't have had dysentery and people wouldn't have died from that in drownings. So I want to be clear, when me and Brian are talking, we're talking about the restorative power. We're not talking about going out and being healed. Not physical healing. Not physical healing out in the outdoors. And 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 I hope we've made that clear over the last two years. Like, we don't believe it. However, it is an amazing place to experience God. And I believe for two reasons, or that, that's true for two reasons, is because first, God cursed us. That may sound strange, but that curse pushes us to lean into him more. When I go out in the outdoors, I don't always feel safe. It's not always a safe environment. It pushes me into a stretch zone, and I am going to put my trust more in him. We even see in the Bible that God sent Jesus into the wilderness. Right? There's power in that. Also, when you begin to, to study, but just go out and look and explore at the flora and fauna, you are going to see it's going to reveal God's fingertips in all of his creation, like he is in it. And so those are the two aspects of why I love the wilderness, because when I go out, you have this this understanding, this respect for it that leans you closer into Christ. And two, as you begin to really explore, look, see, smell, experience it, you experience God. Like it's his creation, right? Then when we get into that, why am I so passionate? Hopefully you heard it in there, but honestly, people will believe anything as long as it's not in the Bible. I don't know who said that quote, but I'm, I'm going to use it from now on. Like It is amazing because that is what's happening today. People are believing the most craziest of crazy stuff. I'll just use one example, UFOs. But 
we're believing all this and believing in it. All, anything that's not in the Bible, people are going to believe. And so we are taught today to hear words like evolution. When we hear words like evolution, mother nature, natural selection, um, or people you're going to hear is, well, the science says. Yeah. Like we hear this stuff all day long. And the more that you begin to study about our origins, the flora and fauna, the more you find out about the creator and his creation. And so they are together. They cannot be separated. And so when I'm sharing God, it's, it is the outdoors. I mean, it is the package. Like they are together and cannot be separated. When, when you see a building, you know that there was a builder. When I see trees, I know there was a creator. And I also know that something cannot come from nothing. Things just don't appear. And so as I am out in his creation, I truly believe that I am closer to my creator. I hope that answers quickly. That was a really good answer. Okay. Yeah, okay. Really right. good answer. Last questions for me. You want to lay it on me? Oh, yeah, yeah. Last one. Here we go. Brrr, drum roll. Did you... Oh, okay. Did your passion for science and biology, Brian, fuel your love for God, or did your love for God fuel your passion for science and biology? <laughs> Deep question. Really good question. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier in this show, in this episode, that... Uh, I have always been, I always have liked logic. And I think that's what really drew me to science. If this, then that. These lines of logic, I think that's why I've always liked science. It's always been easy for me to follow those lines of logic, to mm -hmm. lay them out. When someone says something to me, I always ask myself the question just naturally. I haven't trained myself to do this. Does that make sense? Is there, is there logic there to follow? And yes. so because of that, I liked science before I gave my life to God. So science drew me to God. And even to this day, science continues to increase my awe of our creator. When you can pick any plant, any animal, any process, and you dive in and you start to study it, it's truly amazing. And then you begin to think, is there even a human being that could even possibly think of something this complex? And it all works, and so much of it is reliant on something else that is amazing to work. Uh, there are so many symbiotic relationships. Just just go look at, uh, what's the name of the moth with the yucca plant? The yucca moth. Yucca moth. Yep. The yucca moth yep. has to have the yucca plant, and the yucca plant has to, has have. to have the yucca moth. Mm -hmm. Go study that relationship and just those plants and those animals together, they are truly amazing. Pick an animal that you think is beautiful and start to study it. Study its behaviors, it, right. it, it where it lives, and you are going to learn something new and something that is awe-worthy. And then you think about all the millions of different species and different kinds of animals and plants on this earth. They all have awe-worthy things. None of that could have just happened. No. Not that many times over. We have a creator science reveals the awe of our creator to us and it makes me love God more. My closing in this is I want to share this. It's on my heart. Um, it's coming to me right now listening to what you have to say. Like evolution is evil. Evolution, it is evil. Um, it leaves Christ out. That's the whole reason for it. That worldview is going to try to answer things through that lens and it, and it, the, it doesn't do a very good job of, of answering it. But what I want to share is I want to encourage 
all the parents listening, their kids are going to be learning about this garbage, but they're going to, they're, some of them in, in public school are going to have to take tests and going to have to pass them, and they're going to have to learn the information just to pass the test. Don't destroy your kids because they have to learn that. Like, build your kids up, teach them the truth besides what they have to go learn. Mm-hmm. Let them learn both sides. That's going to that's gonna help them when they get older because they will know what the secular world believes. And then it helps them to, to see the difference, to learn the difference. But let me, let me share it this way. This is what I feel today science is doing. And they're, they're going to they're gonna do it like this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it as a, a riddle real fast. I'm going to say, Brian, a rooster is on top of the barn and it lays an egg. Which side of the barn does the egg roll off? And what would you say to that? Roosters can't lay eggs. Correct. See, that's how like science is. They're telling our kids that roosters are laying eggs. It's like a trick. Like, really, it's a chicken. And who knows which side it's going to roll off? Really depends on maybe which side he's leaning or she's leaning a little more. But it's like when we talk about dinosaurs and evolution, there are just itty bitty mistruths, just twistings of things inside there. Just like the trickery I tried to do with Brian on the rooster. Good thing you knew that when I may have stumped you. But that's what I'm trying to share. Like, don't let it discourage you. Hear what that side has to say. If you need resources to help understand, turn to Genesis, read 1 through 11. Mm-hmm. Read it again, read it again, read it again. That's where you need to start before you turn to any other man's word and any other understanding. Absolutely. Whew, we got them all. That was it. All the questions. That was a long episode. We're like an hour and a half right there. That was fun, though. Whew. It was really fun. Thank you so much for sending those questions in. If somebody does have questions for us, maybe that we didn't answer, or you have questions about the way we answered one of those questions, some of them were a little deep, please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from our listeners. m2boutdoors at gmail.com is the best email address. You can direct message us on Facebook and Instagram. Follow along on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. We'd love to post our adventures on there as well. Whatever platform that you listen to the show on, it really does help us a lot if you leave us a review. Uh, give us a, a, a star rating, whatever is honest. Don't lie, be honest, and and leave some kind words or maybe some words of recommendation that you think that we could do better with the show. If you're really feeling like, man, I am so thankful that I found this podcast, that God led me to the words, his words through these men, Ben and Brian, we would love your financial support. We really would. It feels weird even asking for that, but if it is on your heart and you can, don't put your family in any jeopardy financially. Uh, Patreon is the way to do that. We have several patrons um, that help support the show so we can pay for all our software and everything we need to produce it. There is a link on our Facebook, a Linktree link, There's one on our Instagram and on our TikTok as well. If you click on that and then click on the Patreon box, you can sign up to support the show financially. Uh, It starts with like $5 a month. Uh, It can be really small. Um, And we would really appreciate that. We appreciate the people that are supporting us. That is it for this episode of the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Between now and that time, we hope that you remember you are meant to be outdoors. Thank you for listening to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, hosted by Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. Please help us by subscribing. Also, follow along on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook.